Church, let me encourage you, if you would, to go ahead and grab your Bible or grab a Bible around you that, that, that's in the back of the seats there. Probably don't need to grab somebody else's Bible. Just get one of the ones that's in the back of the seat there or look on with somebody. Pull up the Bible app on your phone. And the reason I'm saying this is because I want to encourage you to see for yourself what the Word of God is saying. Please don't just take our word for it. We're going to be stepping into 1 Peter chapter 1. And if you're new to Shades, we're so grateful that you're here with us today. If you're joining us online, welcome uh, to what God is doing here at Shades. And, and we've been walking through a, a series over the last few weeks in the book of First Peter, and, and we've made it to verse 13. So we've taken a couple of weeks to just lay out the introduction that Peter lays out in this letter for the early church. And today we're, we're, we're coming to a little transition in the letter where Peter's going to say, hey, in light of what you've heard, in light of what's been shared and the good news of the gospel, in light of the finished work of Jesus Christ and, and what the cross and the resurrection means for your life, if you have received this good news by grace through faith, it's, it's going to impact the way you live. And it's going to call you to, to a new way of living. There, there's a call to holiness here. There's a call to obedience here. And these are challenging calls. So we're going to read the scripture together and then that I want to pray that, that God would use this time in our lives to, to help us see with greater clarity what he desires for us to see as it relates to the pursuit of holiness and the call to obedience to the word of God. So let me ask you if you would, would you stand with me all around the room? Let's stand for the reading of God's word. And, and if you're new to Shades and you're wondering why are we standing back up again? Well, we do this every week at the reading of God's word to be reminded that this is the foundation that the church of Jesus Christ stands upon. The word of God, the unchangeable, inerrant, immovable word of God is the solid rock beneath the feet of the people of God. And it's here in the scripture that we see God lay before us what, what he says is right and good and true, what, what we need to hear from God. And so we step into 1 Peter, we pick up at verse 13, and we see what the Spirit of God divinely inspires Peter to write to the church. It says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to read that again. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Church, think deeply. Being sober-minded. Church, take the things of God seriously. Think clearly. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, verse 14, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but he who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. These are some strong words. These are some challenging words. The, the call to holiness is a daunting call because if we're honest, every single one of us at the reading of God's word realizes there are things in our lives that are not holy. There are things that we've done that have taken us away from holiness. And so this can feel overwhelming and challenging. So I want to pray right now that God would meet us all right where we are 
in our story, in our journey, with, with our challenges, with our baggage, with our struggles, with our experiences, and speak his word of truth into our lives because we need to hear what the scripture says. So would you pray with me before we're seated? Father, we, we stand before you at your word, believing that you have something we need to hear. Believing when God speaks, the people should listen. So Lord, I pray that you'd open our ears. I pray that you'd soften our hearts. I pray that you'd show us what we need to see. And I pray that you'd show us what you have done. So use this time for your glory in the midst of all of our stories and all that we're walking through. Meet us here in this space and use this time to show us what we need as it relates to a relationship with you and this call to holiness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. And as you're seated, I just want to take the liberty right now because I get to do this standing up here. Today is a very special day in the Wright household. Brody Wright turned 17. Today it's his birthday. Happy birthday, Brody. When your dad is a preacher, you never know what he might say on Sunday morning. So y'all can all embarrass Brody later. Hey, I want you to know, as I was preparing for this sermon and walking through these verses, there was, there was a tension that I was feeling all through my preparation this week. And I was just praying, Lord, please, please, please give me the words that you want me to say flowing out of your scripture so that what you lay before your people as it relates to the pursuit of holiness and obedience to the word of God will be clear and will not feel like, like a burden and will not feel like this heavy weight thrown at people, but, but, will, but will be exactly what the word of God intends for it to be. And it's this invitation to, to freedom. And you may say, okay, how can a call to obedience be an invitation to freedom? Uh, how can a call to pursue holiness be an invitation to freedom? Well, that's where, that's where the scripture is going to take us. And I've been praying that the Lord would use this and, and, and give clarity to, to the listeners, to, to, to all of us, that, that we would hear what God desires for us to hear. And I do want you to know, I, I'm praying every week as I prepare for a sermon, feeling this, this, this very sacred tension, I believe, of going, okay, Lord, I want to honor you and honor what your word says. I, I want to I communicate this in such a way that, that prayerfully it can be received, it can be understood. And there's this tension there. Every week as I prepare for a sermon, I'm praying, Lord, let, let me speak what you desire for me to speak that lines up with your word, that, that, that points to the goodness of your word and the beauty of your word. Because if I'm honest, there, there's a danger. There's a danger anytime a group of people gather to listen to someone teach the things of God. There's a danger in organized religion that 
that, that people can gather together and listen to an expert and just take the expert's word for it and just blindly follow what the teacher or the expert or the one with the learned knowledge says without really thinking deeply for themselves. Certainly, history is filled with examples of people who follow uh, a spiritual leader or follow a spiritual teacher or, or follow a religious person blindly in, into some very dangerous places. Because the, the reality is a, a, a religious leader, a religious teacher can have selfish motivations. The reality is a religious leader or a religious teacher can, can seek to manipulate people and control behavior. A, a religious teacher or a religious authority can become more consumed with, with following the, the culture winds that are blowing through our society than they are with pointing to the truth of God's word. And, and people can be led to places that they don't need to go. And, and here's the thing I would say as a preacher, I'm so very grateful, so very grateful that each and every week when I stand up to preach and, and when people stand up to teach here at Shades, there are always people listening who are passionate about the word of God and passionate about sound doctrine. And, and I have full confidence in, in many of you that if I say something that is out of bounds or out of line with the Holy Scripture or, or does not communicate sound doctrine, you're gonna confront me. That's good. You need to. That's accountability. It's taking the word of God seriously. And that's what Peter is communicating as he begins to call the church to obedience. He's saying, don't check your mind at the door. Don't, don't accept things just in blind faith and go, oh, I don't need to think deep about those things. I need to leave that to the experts. No, think deeply, Peter is saying. Engage your mind. Think about how significant this is because if this is true, what's being laid before you, it must impact the way that you live. And so if you're going to position your life around this truth, you need to think deeply about what this means. You need to think deeply about the implications. You need to think deeply about what has been laid before you in the Holy Scripture. Don't leave your mind at the door. I love the way author and theologian Charles Sproul put it when he said, Christians are called repeatedly in sacred scripture not to leave their minds in the parking lot when they enter into church, but to awaken their minds so that they may think clearly and deeply about the things of God. Don't leave your mind at the door. Engage your mind. Think deeply on the things of God. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, engage your mind to thoughtful theological truth and sound doctrine. Don't turn off your mind and call it faith. That's foolish. Think deeply about the things of God and the truth of scripture that is laid before us in the Holy Word. 
Peter says in verse 13, therefore, in light of what you've heard, in light of the, the gospel that has been laid before you at the beginning of this letter, that's what Peter's saying, in light of the good news of what Christ has done, prepare your minds for action. You could translate this, gird up the loins of your mind. That's an interesting way to think about it. Gird up the loins of your mind. What is that all about? That means, that means if you're wearing a, a tunic or a robe, which was common at the time, you need to lift that tunic or robe up to your knees, tie it off, cinch it so that you're ready to move. You're ready to act. You're ready to go. Think deeply, engage your mind and be sober-minded. That means don't let anything fog your thinking or don't let anything get in the way of you thinking clearly. Because what we're about to step into is significantly important as it relates to how you will live if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. Prepare your mind for action and think deeply on the things of God. And then Peter says this statement that is so beautiful and really, really serves as a foundational statement for the rest of this letter at the end of verse 13, where he says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully on the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully on what Christ has done. Why? Because you're going to start to make this about you and what you're doing. And you have no hope if this is about you. So set your hope fully on the grace that is yours because of the finished work of Christ. This is to be the foundation of your life. It's interesting to note here when the scripture uses the word hope, it has a very specific meaning. And it's, it's not a term that, that implies wishful thinking or, or like an optimistic idea where, where, where like a child says, oh, I hope my parents will take me to Disney World one day. I'm not sure if it's gonna happen. I want it to happen. I hope it will happen, but it may not happen. Now, that's not what this is talking about at all. When the scripture uses the term hope, the scripture is talking in definitive language and saying this hope is actually a promise because this hope is rooted and grounded in what God has said and what God has done. So when the Bible talks about hope, the Bible's talking about something definitive, something that you can, you can write down and go, yes, this is true. This is a promise. This is a guarantee because God always follows through. And God always does what he says he will do. God always comes through on his promises. So the hope that we have is secure. The hope that we have is certain. Peter is saying this hope that you have been given is the promise of the sufficiency of God's grace because of what Christ has done. This promise is sure. This promise is yours because of the cross and the power of the resurrection. This, this promise of God's grace is the foundation on which our lives are to stand because they remind us that we're building our lives not on our behavior, but on the finished work of Jesus Christ and his perfect life for us. 
And that really matters when we begin to talk about obedience. And that really matters when we begin to talk about the pursuit of holiness. That this is flowing from a father who loves us. This is flowing from a heavenly father who sees us, who knows what we need and is calling us to live a certain way in light of what's already been done for us. And that's the language Peter uses in verse 14. He's talking about this, this fatherly relationship and he says to the church, as obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You, you are to look at God as your father. That's who he is. He is your perfect heavenly father. And you're called to obedience, not to go back to, to, to the things that you used to chase after before you were given this good news of the gospel. You see, Peter makes this statement in verse 14. Because he understands human nature. He knows what, what so often can happen where, where we, can, we can make a decision and, and, and we can receive some good news and, and for a moment that, that can impact our life and for a moment we can be excited but then there's, there's things in the world that are pulling for our attention. There's things in this world that, that are making promises to us and, and there's this temptation to, to begin to pursue things of this world thinking they will provide fulfillment, forgetting, forgetting that the fulfillment that they might provide is fleeting, it's momentary. And so Peter's saying, look, you, you've experienced this before. But before you received the good news of the gospel, you were chasing and chasing and chasing all these things of this world that you thought would provide pleasure or, or happiness or, or fulfillment. And they made all these promises to you. And then when you attained them, there might have been pleasure for a moment, but that pleasure, it's gone. It passed on. And then you had to look for something else and look for something else and chase and chase and chase. And Peter's saying, don't go back there. Don't go back to that former ignorance of pursuing the passions, the things of this world, because you know the things of this world never come through and deliver on their promises. The things of this world leave you feeling empty and longing for more. The things of this world cause you to be on this ongoing chase, trying to, to find fulfillment. And, and Peter's saying, no. No, because of what has been done for you, because of the finished work of, of, of Jesus Christ, you've been given the promise of hope. That means you've been given the promise of fulfillment that truly satisfies. This is such good news. This is such a beautiful invitation that the gospel Provides. You don't have to keep chasing all the things of this world, trying to find momentary pleasure that will be here today and gone tomorrow because you've been given a lasting joy. The true fulfillment once and for all and the hope that is yours through the grace of God. And so Peter's saying, look, it, you're going to chase after something, you're, you're going to obey something. Don't chase after 
those former passions of ignorance. No, no, chase after what is true and what is good and what has been already done for you in the finished work of Jesus Christ. There's a quote that I went back to several times this week and, and I've used it before in sermons. I'm sure I'll use it again in sermons. It's, it's a quote that I absolutely love from C.S. Lewis. And he's, he's talking about the, the, the things that we pursue in this world. He says this, if, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. You see, when we begin to talk about this, this call to obedience, and this call to pursue holiness, it's so important that we understand this is not a call from a God who is holding out on you and wants you to miss out on all the pleasure and joy in this life that everyone else in the world gets to experience. Now, this is the call of your perfect heavenly father who created you and loves you and knows you and knows that there is only one thing in this world that can truly satisfy your soul. And that's him. And so he's saying, because I, because I know you and I created you and I love you, I want you to be fulfilled. I want you to live a life of joy I, and I want you to enjoy the things that I have created for you to enjoy. But I want you to build your life on what will truly satisfy. Because when you build your life on what will truly satisfy, it changes everything. And the call to obedience is not drudgery and it's not this dull, meaningless life of just trying to follow all the rules. No, the call to obedience is a call to freedom. It's a, it's a call to live in the finished work of what Christ has done. And, and it's a call that, that calls us away from the bondage of the things of this world that, that can so easily mess with us, lie to us, and leave us empty. This is the call of a father who loves you. And Peter is saying here in light of this beautiful good news of what God has done for you in Christ, don't settle. Don't settle for the passions of your former ignorance. Don't go back to the things that you used to run to in an attempt to find momentary pleasure. No, church, you have been offered something so much greater you have been given an invitation to embrace the one thing that will truly satisfy your soul. So embrace it. 
And when you embrace it, it will begin to impact the way that you live. And it will begin to take you to a place in the pursuit of holiness that is so beautiful and so liberating. I want to explain what I mean, but let's read these verses in verse 15 and 16. Here's the call. Peter writes, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. The call to pursue holiness. This is the call on the life of every follower of Jesus Christ. And as Peter calls the church to pursue holiness, he quotes from the Old Testament from what appears maybe to us as like a very obscure reference from the book of Leviticus, as he's pointing back to the law of God and showing that God in the midst of laying the law before the people in the book of Leviticus makes this statement, you be holy because I am holy. That seems daunting. That seems overwhelming. If we are honest, and we should be honest, it's church, okay? Stop lying in church, be honest. If we are honest, every single one of us knows when we hear this statement, you be holy because I, the Lord God, am holy. We're not even close. We fall short. And some of you may think I'm doing better than the person sitting beside me. But that just proves how far, you're actually, how far you've actually fallen. How far you are from the holiness of God. If you think you're better than everyone else around you, you're actually really far from the holiness of God. What is Peter doing here is he quotes the statement of God in the midst of the giving of the law. It's really beautiful what Peter has done. Let me read the verse to you first that he's quoting. It's Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. And I know all of you love the book of Leviticus so much. You've got it memorized and you know Le Leviticus chapter 11. It's all about the, the things that you can eat and the things that you should not eat. What is clean and what is unclean. And it's, it's a pretty wild list. In fact, I recommend you read it this afternoon. It is, it's pretty interesting. There are things that God says to his people, you should not eat this. There are things that God says, okay, this is clean. And he, he lays out these, these dietary rules for the people. And in the midst of laying out these dietary rules for the people, he begins to talk about, about things that, that swarm and crawl on the ground. And then he says, you be holy because I'm holy. What is that all about? Well, first, let's read it. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. I promise there, there is a, a purpose to what we are doing here. Leviticus eleven forty four 44 says this, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy. For I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. It's one of the laws of God for his people. Don't eat cockroaches. It's a good law. I really like that one. Don't, don't eat fire ants. God's pretty smart. Evidently, there were some people who weren't. And so he says, you need to know this. There's some things that you don't need to eat that are crawling and swarming on the ground. But I want you to hear me say this. You be holy 
because I am holy. Why, why would Peter take us to this verse? I mean, it, it seems kind of wild, right? I mean, God, what are you saying here through Peter? What is the church supposed to hear through this quotation of Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44? Please don't miss this. Two, two things I want to highlight here that are so important and so powerful as it relates to what Peter is doing by drawing the people's attention back to the law of God in Leviticus chapter 11. Peter is reminding the people, and this is so important. Peter is reminding the people of God that the law has been laid out to show the people of God that they are to live a life that is set apart and different from the world around them. This is extremely important in our culture today. Please hear this. There, there were reasons for these rules. There were reasons for these laws. They, they were for the protection of the people, like don't eat things that swarm and crawl on the ground. That's a good one. But they were also for cleanliness. They were also for flourishing. All of these laws that God laid out, they had a reason behind them for his people and through it all was running this theme, the people of God are to live set apart and different from the rest of the world. I just got to confess in my generation, and I'm sure this has happened in many other generations, but in my generation, there has been this absolute infatuation by people in the church trying to look cool and blend in with the world around us. Oh, I'm a Christian, but I'm cool. Jesus is my homeboy. I'm dope. It's ridiculous. It's actually nauseating. It's actually embarrassing. Because if you are a follower of Jesus Christ in this day and time, just like if you were a follower of Jesus Christ when the word of God was first written down, your life will be drastically different from the world around you. Stop apologizing for it. Stop trying to blend in. Stop trying to look like you belong in the culture because if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are not of this world. We talked about this at the beginning of Peter. You're actually made for another kingdom. Peter says you're in exile. And so all these laws that God gave his people, they're to show your life is gonna be different. And the other cultures around you, the other nations around you, they're gonna look at you and they're gonna see, man, there's something going on there. Those people of God, those Israelites, they look so different than, than the way we live. And, and they've got these things that they do that are so different than the things that we do. And the law was given to the people so that they would be set apart. So it would be obvious that they were following the one true God and not the things of this world. But please hear this, at the same time, at the same time, the law of God was never intended to save the people. And this is huge. This is the second point we have to make here as Peter takes us back to Leviticus and back to the law of God. 
He's reminding the people in this call to obedience and in this call to pursue holiness, the law of God was never intended to save you because the only way that you could be saved by following the law of God is if you perfectly and completely follow the law of God every day in every way for as long as you live. The standard is so high. The standard is in fact unattainable. The only way the law can save is if you perfectly keep it all the time. Now, why would Peter be reminding the people of this? If the standard is so high and clearly a standard that no one can live up to, why is Peter reminding the people of the law as he's calling them to obedience in the pursuit of holiness? Please don't miss this. This is what this is all about. This is so brilliant. It's so beautiful what the scripture does in taking us here. Every single one of us, every single person who has ever lived has attempted in some form or fashion to create for themselves a standard, a, a moral standard that they can seek to live up to, to prove that they are worthy and to prove that their life can be justified. Every single one of us wants to feel justified. Every single one of us wants to feel good enough. And so regardless of if this is your first time ever involved in a, in a religious church service of any kind, or if you've been in church every week since you came out of the womb, this is true for us all. Everybody grabs a hold of a personal standard that they can try to live up to in an attempt to prove that they are worthy, in an attempt to prove that they are justified and so that they can then look at others and go, I'm actually doing better than him. I'm actually doing better than her because I've got this standard that they're not living up to, but I am. It's a self-salvation project where we try to prove that we are worthy based on the standard that we have created. This is true for those who are religious. This is true for those who are not religious at all. But when God lays out his law for his people and tells them to be holy as he is holy, he is showing them and showing you and me that any attempt that we might come up with to try and save ourselves or justify ourselves or prove our worth through following the law will always fall short. You might create your own standard, but you can't come close to the standard of God that he has laid out for you. You, you might define your own morality and our culture loves to do that but you will never come close to living up to the standard of morality that God has laid out in his law. The standard is perfection. And so in giving his law and setting this high standard for holiness and perfection, God is showing you can't save yourself. You can't save yourself. So, so, so what is the law doing then? 
God has given the law to do what? To, to create in us what? To create in us a longing. A longing, a desire for, for someone to come and, and to help us, for, for a savior who can rescue us. Because the law shows us we actually don't measure up. I want to take your attention real quickly now from from what Peter has done to take us to Leviticus and the law and jump into Matthew chapter five to the Sermon on the Mount. We're gonna do this really quickly. This is, this is the longest recorded sermon that we have of Jesus, the, the most famous recorded sermon that we have of Jesus in the scripture. And it shows for us why this gospel is such good news as Jesus begins to talk about the law and talk about why he came. Look at this in Matthew chapter five, beginning in verse 17. Jesus says this, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. To which the people would say, wait, Jesus, I, we've been trying so hard. I've been working so hard to, to show that I'm a good person, Jesus. I've been trying so hard to, to prove that I'm worthy and, and now you're saying the only way that I can be worthy of, of being in heaven is if my righteousness somehow exceeds the most righteous person that I've ever seen? A scribe or a fair, Jesus, you know the law feels like such a burden to me. You know all these rules are, are, are so difficult to keep up with and I'm, I'm trying, but, but, but Jesus, if I'm honest, most of the time, I'm really just an actor putting on a show because I know, even though I can act a certain way and for the people, I can't fool you. And God, you know my heart and and, and you know that even if things seem pretty good on the outside and, and seem like I've cleaned up things on the outside, on the inside is chaos. And there's brokenness. And there's pain. And Jesus, I already feel overwhelmed enough. And now you're telling me that my righteousness has to exceed the most righteous person I've ever seen? I don't even know what I'm supposed to do with that, Jesus. How can I ever be good enough? To which Jesus would say, do you see now why I came? I know you can't measure up. I know the law is too lofty a standard for you to keep. 
And I've not come to abolish that law or to, to take away the law. I've come to do something for you that you know you never could do for yourself. I, I've come to fulfill the law, to perfectly keep the law and to offer my life that has perfectly kept the law without sin on a cross for you. Because you can't save yourself. And I'm inviting you to stop trying. You can't save yourself. And so the Savior has come. He's come to fulfill the law so that you and I could know the only way to be right with God is, is through him. He makes this statement that, that seems so burdensome at first that, that somehow I've got to be more righteous than the most righteous people around me and this statement is actually a death nail to every legalistic attempt to try and prove we're better than others or try and somehow prove that we are justified through our behavior. He says, no, no, no. You have to be more righteous than that. You have to be more righteous than the most righteous person you've ever seen. How can that happen? The only way it can happen is if it has been done for us. The only way that we can be called righteous is if it has been given to us. And this is where we'll close today. I want to look real quickly at Romans chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. This is the last place we'll turn. And this is the Apostle Paul laying out for the church in Rome what he has seen through the finished work of Jesus Christ and the good news that Christ came to fulfill the law. He says this, now the law came to increase the trespass. That's, that's why the law was given, so that you would see you fall short, you don't measure up, you can't uphold the standard. The law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That's the hope that we have, the living hope that is ours. The promise of God given to us through the finished work of Jesus is the grace of God, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is our hope, that grace covers a multitude of sins and righteousness can only be ours if it is received as a gift from the one who is righteous. So the call to be holy as he is holy, is a call to dive deeper and deeper into the good news of the gospel and the ocean of grace that is our only hope because the more you see what Christ has done for you and the righteousness he has given to you, the more you will desire to bring glory and honor to his name. So the way to obey 
And the way to pursue holiness is to look to Jesus and be reminded of what he has done and be overwhelmed at this grace that is our hope and be overwhelmed that he has done for you what you could never do for yourself. So now out of worship, there is joy in pursuing holiness and going after what he has given you. A joy that nothing in this world can come close to matching. So let's pursue Jesus. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for the beauty of the gospel and the challenge of your word. I pray, Lord God, that your people, those who are followers of Jesus, your church would be a people whose lives are built on the hope of grace that is ours because of what Christ has done. And it would impact the way that we live and it would impact the way that we think and it would impact the way we interact with the world. And it would show that there is something different in us than, than the rest of our culture because of what Christ has done. Lord, please use us to show people around us there is a God who loves them and has done for us and done for them what we desperately, desperately need to find true hope and fulfillment in this life. Thank you for the finished work of Jesus. And for those who are among us who have yet to receive this gift in a real and personal way, I pray, Lord God, that today would be the day that they would say, Jesus, I need you. I can't save myself. I've been trying. It's exhausting. Jesus, I need you. And so I'm trusting my life to this beautiful gospel and this good news you have given your life so that I might be saved. And you have forgiven me of my sins so that I might be called righteous. And I want to follow you. Thank you, Lord God, for this beautiful good news. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.